Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. This is episode 65 and today we're interviewing Amy Eagers. Now, Jackie and I, interestingly, there's been one degree of separation between um, Jackie and myself and Amy. Uh, Jackie, where's your one degree of separation? Well, my one degree of separation is through Dr. Tro. So Dr. Tro and I were emailing and um, and he suggested Amy. Should we should interview Amy? Yeah. What about yours? And so the one degree of separation was that Amy got to, well, Amy met Andrew in New York when I was arriving with our good friend Daisy Brackenhall on our way to Keto Fest. So Andrew got to have lunch with Amy and um, yeah, so she was friends with or she is friends with Kim Houghton, of course. So, and, so it was um, also that makes it another one degree as well, doesn't it? Because you're friends with Kim. Yes. So friends with Kim. Um, Andrew is obviously the, the ball and chain. Um, so he got to have lunch with, with Amy, but she then went on and we met up after, after that when we were in New York on our way to catch the train up to New London for, for Keto Fest with Kim, Andrew and Daisy and myself. We we're meeting up also then with um, Terry Lance, Matt and John, so the, the gang, so the Keto Fest gang. So I didn't get to meet Amy that day in New York, but it was lovely to hear Amy's story and what a story she's got. I know, it's amazing. That weight loss is absolutely amazing. Which I know that the listeners will, you know, be absolutely really in awe of her resilience and tenacity and, you know, the strength and something that she's immensely proud of in terms of her journey. Yeah. And now she's going on to help others do the same. That's right. With, um, in Dr. Tro's surgery in, in New York. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about Amy? Amy Igers is a health coach and reformed chronic dieter who is passionate about helping others recover from the diet, binge, gain, shame cycle she struggled with for years. Since discovering a ketogenic and low-carb lifestyle, she has lost 225 pounds and has both reversed pre-diabetes and resolving lifelong depression. When I was just starting out, facing over 200 pounds to lose, seemed unsurmountable and the idea I would ever be where I am now was unfathomable. Know this, I am not extraordinary. I just finally got the right advice, put one foot in front of the other and didn't look back. I know now that it can be done 
but after truly battling this war for 40 years, I had lost hope that it was really, truly possible. I am living proof that it is. Louise, I've just what gone... What a I've got all what? goosebumps, goosebumps reading that. Mm. That's mm. so powerful. Absolutely. So, listeners, be prepared to hear this wonderful story. Let's go, Jackie. Welcome, Amy, to the Fellowsy Keto Podcast. It's fabulous to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honour. Well, we normally start the podcast with where in the world are you? Okay. I am um, in the middle of New York City right now um, in a very beautiful fall day. Lovely. I love New York. Yep. Definitely love New York. One of my favourite cities in the world. And... We were just sort of, just before we started the podcast, it's just, you know, one degree of separation with Amy and myself. So Amy has met Andrew, um, but on that particular day when Andrew was in New York City when I was arriving from the UK with our good friend Daisy Brackenhall, um, you had had lunch with Andrew and Kim Houghton. I did. I did. Um, this was, uh, was it three years ago? It's hard to, you know, it's last year was sort of the year that wasn't, and then um, but yeah, we had lunch at, in New York City and then, um, and then there was a deluge of rain, I remember. Um, yeah, it was, the, it was the first time that I, was the first time I met Kim in person? Yeah, I, I had worked with Kim for a while and, uh, I think that might have been the first time I met her in person. Uh, and he, she brought Andrew along to, to mind us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, it was interesting because it was, um, 2018 and we were heading up to New London for Keto Fest. And so with the, with the, the two Keto Dude gang. So it was Kim Howerton, myself, Andrew and Daisy Brackenhall all sort of traipsing up to, to New London. So where we were meeting our other good friend, um, Terry Lance, Matt and John as well. So the gang were getting together, um, obviously to, to volunteer. So yes, and we're sort of congregating at Penn Station, around Penn Station to, um, to do that in the middle of a summer storm. So it was, yeah, quite an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, that, the Keto Fest was fun. It was, I hope they, at some point we'll do that again because those were fun, fun events. Well, we'll give a shout out to our good friends, Carl and Richard, to sort of, you know, get things, you know, get the post-COVID Keto Fest movement happening again. So now that they're getting their podcast up and running. So, yeah, hurry up, Carl and Richard. We want to get some community, you know, spirit happening as well. Well, Amy, why don't you start with your story? So take us back to where your low-carb keto journey started. Sure. Well, I I was overweight my entire life. Um really my entire life, I mean, you know, as, as early and as young as I can remember, weight was an issue in the family and it was certainly an issue for me. I, um, I went to my first Weight Watchers meeting at, I, I was maybe five or six, something like that. I wasn't a member, but I remember tagging along with my mom. Um, and I remember, um, I remember that the weigh-in person looking at me and looking at my mom and spelling something that started with an O. And I knew even at that really young age that, um, that she was calling me fat, basically. I mean, I was, I couldn't have been more than five or six years old, but I, 
I remember asking my mother later on, what's a word that starts with O that means fat? Like I just knew that I just knew internally, even at that age that she was calling me that. And um and yeah, it was just a lifetime of of just not being able to figure it out, of starting a new diet, constantly starting a new diet, constantly having that kind of sort of false hope that comes with a new diet and a new plan and a new, um, you know, this one's going to offer me the solution. This one's going to be the ticket out. This one's going to do it. And it just never did. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in the New York area and, um, you know, had access to like sort of the best, the best expert, quote unquote, experts and all the doctors and nutritionists mm. and dietitians and diet programs and just all that false hope that um, it never really worked, you know, and it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, that's the irony is that I tried so hard. And I, by the time I was in high school, I was 300 pounds. And for the rest of most of my, almost my entire adult life, I was, I was at or over 400 pounds. Um, and it was, it was certainly not for lack of trying. Um, and I just kept plugging along and trying a new diet, a new diet. And then, you know, eventually, I, I, I mean, I chose to join Weight Watchers 35 times over the course of my life. That's like a low exaggeration. Um, or I would try, you know, any number of, of plans. And then I just thought I was broken, right? And um, I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of that health at every size movement, Um which mm-hmm. I certainly, ha- I, I think it's, I wish it was healthier at every size. I think that's something that everybody can wrap their head around. Um, but, um, and then I did a little bit of stint around intuitive eating, which um, ultimately landed me 30, 20, 30 pounds heavier. Um, because I didn't realize at the time that intuitive eating while riding a blood sugar shifting roller coaster is not a, a recipe for success. But, um, but, it, but each of those things taught me something, you know, that health at every size movement introduced me to exercise, which has been one of my saviors and greatest joys now. Um, and so I, I credit that. Again, I wish it was healthier at every size because I think that's certainly brought my head around that. Um, and then intuitive eating is something that I rely on every day now, even doing low carb and keto. It's something that I really go back to all the time it, it's sort of checking in with are you hungry if you're not why are you eating um you know sometimes i do, i answer that question because i want to damn it and then sometimes you know my greater self kicks in and i sort of try to examine what's going on and um but yeah so so i i really had dieted my way up to 400 pounds and um and i was so you know by the time i i had discovered keto i was so desperate and so broke felt so broken and so um just like there was just no way out you know and I just um I didn't believe it was the right decision for me but I was I was going to have bariatric surgery I knew it wasn't right for me I just in my gut I just was like this, this doesn't feel like the right choice for me and yet I was so desperate I just didn't see any option um and I made the appointment for the surgery and um, I had a couple of weeks and I, I just, again, I just, it wasn't right for me. I, it's, I think it's a really valuable tool for other people. It just knew in my heart it wasn't right. Um, and I just did a random Google search and I somehow came across Diet Doctor. Uh, 
And I started looking at the website and it was so user friendly. I often, I say um, at all of my jobs and in all of my life, I don't speak science. Um, it's not my first language, but the way that Diet Doctor presented the information was so user friendly. And so it was, they laid, the science was laid out in such simple ways that even I could understand it for some of those speak it. And I said, well, this kind of makes sense. Like, I don't know. And I, you know what I loved about Diet Doctor is that they weren't selling anything. So, you know, every other diet plan, you know, it's like, all right, here, you know, give us a couple of hundred dollars or buy our supplements or buy our things. And I, or they're selling ads or, and I thought they, they have nothing to gain here by, I mean, I think it was a nine dollar, it was 30 days for free and it was a nine dollar a month membership. And I thought, God, like these people seem like they're really doing it because they believe in their, in what they're doing. And I, took a deep dive and I really went through every video and every blog article and every recipe and every meal plan. I thought, oh, there seems to be science here and I think I could do this. So they had a two week challenge and I, I thought, let me give this a try. Um, and I did it for two weeks. You know, listen, I had 200, over 220, 240 pounds to lose. There was no amount of weight I could lose in two weeks that was going to make any demonstrable difference. But I, I could tell there was a shift even in that first two weeks. It just felt different. Like something, this is a reference maybe only people of a certain age will get, but it's kind of like when you have a rep, when you had a record and a needle and the, and the, um, the needle is in the groove versus skipping. And it just felt like the needle was in the groove for that two weeks. It just felt like, wow, this feels different in, in a way that I don't know what, I didn't really understand at that point what was the difference. But it, I knew that it was different mm -hmm. and I canceled the surgery and I have, that was um, in February, March, it'll be five years, February of 2022, it'll be five years. Um, and I've lost 225 pounds. Um, and I, I cannot express to you how I just did not believe this was in the cards for me. I, you know, and when I first started out, I thought I just want to be a thinner fat person. I just want to be a smaller fat person. I just, that was... And that would have been enough, honestly, if my health was in, in check and, and I could move my body and I could live my life. Um, that's all really, I, I really wanted. And I just didn't believe this was in the cards for me. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of my, my origin story. So all your weight has gone through low carbon keto. Yes. Yes. I was most, I was pretty wow. sick keto for most of this time. Um, and then over the last six months or so, I've veered more into a little bit of low, very, I mean, I'm still low carb, but I will have an occasional piece of fruit, seasonal fruit. Um, I don't really count macros as much anymore. I kind of try to prioritize protein. I don't do a lot. I've had to tweak things along the way, um, but it's always been low carb for the last five years. Um but I'm I'm little less keto and more low carb these days. You've obviously got the insulin sensitivity to do that. I do, I do. I didn't, you know, at first, but now I can I can quote unquote get away with it a little bit. You know, I've had um my all my blood work taken and my fasting insulin is, is super low now and um so all my health numbers are in check and I can I can do that now. I don't think I could have done I could have done this. No, probably not. Earlier on. And besides the, you know, my blood work, I also, I, you know, when I do have a little bit higher carbs now, and when I say higher carbs, I mean an apple, you know, or 
a piece of fruit that isn't quote unquote keto. But when I do have that, I do also prepare myself for residual hunger and cravings that I may have. So I, I know how to handle that now where I could never have gotten to this point doing that earlier on. Yeah. So two questions, and that's really sort of, well, first of all, wow, like that's just an amazingly, you know, transformation. So 225 pounds, you know, is just a real credit to you and I think you should, you know, I should be supremely proud of your achievement. It's just a, you know, just a fantastic transformation. Thank you. My first question is, how was your sort of your sense of self? I mean, your sense of self, and you sort of mentioned about, um, you know, you were so desperate and broken, no way out, um, wanting to be that sort of thinner, fat person. How I'm just trying to sort of think, well, how was your mental health? You know, was it, you know, depression? You know, was there any sort of depression sitting with all of this, um, this, this desperation? Yes, yes, there was. I don't, I don't know whether the depression was, I don't know whether the weight was because of the depression or the depression was because of the weight. I think it was a combination of the two. But yes, I was definitely depressed. And I, I just, I also thought that that was just who I am. That was just intrinsically who I am. And, um, you know, there was a couple of years into keto and low carb, and I had already lost a fair amount of weight. And I realized, oh, I'm no longer depressed. Like I am, you know, I get situationally sad or depressed occasionally, but I am not, I would not qualify myself as a, as a depressed person anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's another piece of it also that I went through a fair amount of life changes before I discovered keto and low carb. You know, I had dealt with um, sick and ailing and eventually dying parents and I had gone through the grief process um, and you know my mother dying was part of why it became so important to me and I, I can talk a little bit about that too but um, but just in terms of the, of life stressors when I discovered keto this is something that I talk about often now like a, a lot of things were lined up for me to be successful this time around not just I, I think a giant part of it was keto and low carb, but the major stressors in my life were were non-existent anymore. I didn't. I had I'd done the grieving process for my parents. I had. I was in a financially more stable situation, so I wasn't stressed so much about that. Um, I mean, there's you know life happens, but but I was I was in a much better position for this to be successful, um, and so. Um, you know, I kind of have the sun and the moon and the stars aligned for me at this point. You know, sometimes I think about like, God, it's so much wasted time, you know, like so much weight, mm. but I couldn't have done it. You know, like I, I, yeah. I don't know that I would have been successful if I was dealing with all the stresses that come from, you know, establishing a career, establishing a life, dealing with, you know, elderly and aging and sick parents and, and all of that stuff that life brings. So my second question gets to what do you think were the contributors and what we know now more around like sugar addictions and those sorts of things that perhaps were some of those antecedents to you becoming um, morbidly obese? You know, what was the the food, um, you know, position in your family, obviously childhood, you know, to keeping you morbidly obese? 
I think for me, it wasn't necessarily sugar addiction. I think it was probably, I call it food addiction. Um, it's probably a more of a process. Also, you know, high, I that hyperpalatable processed food addiction. Um, it wasn't just sugar, although I guess it, it all comes down to blood sugar. But, um, but you know, there is addiction in my family. I think that definitely plays a part in this. In this, I think I have a predisposition to that, to, um, to using any substance for sort of, um, you know, um, relief of some sort or um, numbing of some sort. Um, I think that. You know, my, I, I, I think that, you know, there's certain, my, my belief is that certain people feel things in a different way than other people do. And then if you have a predisposition to being a, addicted to something, you're going to numb those intense feelings with, with some substance. That's partially why I didn't think that uh, bariatric surgery would be right for me, because I knew that it wasn't going to solve that and that I would. I had read enough and seen enough and, and knew enough about myself that if I removed the food addiction, I was going to just end up addicted to drugs or alcohol or shopping or whatever um, bad behavior, bad, you know, it's a terrible phrase, but, you know, whatever uh, um, unhealthy displays. Sure. That yeah, I, sure. I, I was just going to replace one with the other. And I, I just knew that there wasn't. Um, hmm. It, it wasn't going to be good for me. So that makes sense. Yeah, and and that certainly makes sense that the ultra processed food and obviously the as we know in the US that there is a lot of um, you know yes. ultra processed food in the food system and that that's obviously lends itself to the hyperpalatability and the you know the volumes of food and which obviously contribute to the obesity epidemic. So. And it sounds like you're, you know, that you've really got some great insight into knowing yourself. And that sort of has come through, as you said, the stars, the moon lining up. And that was obviously the gift of, you know, thank goodness for Andreas Ehrenfeld and the, and the diet doctor to, you know, for sure. to lead the way. Yeah, I cannot see Pilot Morhali uh, diet doctor as, as a resource. It's something that I, I tell people all the time. That's the best place to start. I don't think it's the greatest name for the site. I will be honest. I think it's, a, I think it's, I think the name may throw people off. Maybe Americans it throws off, but, um, but I think it's just an amazing resource and it's a great place to start. And the science is really laid out. It's, it's, there's as much depth of science as you want, but if you don't, need that or, or understand it if it's not your first language if it doesn't come naturally to you there's there's plenty of of resources there that will make it um easily understood so i cannot mm. tell you enough how much i am indebted to that site yeah so were you a health coach before you started your journey or have you done that since no no i um so yeah i uh, fast forward a couple of years, I was a few hundred pounds down, and I, um, but I, I did have some trouble along the way, and I, I started to have some, I started to dabble a little bit more in, you know, um, higher carbs, I would say, or, or, you know, some old behaviors came back, like binging and, and eating, 
you know, it wasn't just like occasionally on my birthday or Christmas, I would have an indulgence. Like it became harder and harder to claw back from, from those higher carb situations. And I knew that I needed a doctor and I, I knew that I needed some accountability and support. Um, and so I reached out to uh, a doctor that's in the New York area, Dr. Trow, and um, I actually became his patient. Um, I'd already lost about 100 pounds, but I, I had put back on 20 of it. And I could tell it was like I was heading in a bad direction. I could tell it was I was going to fast forward a year or two and I would have put all the way back on. Um, so I just needed some support and accountability. And, and he taught me a new or a little bit of a different way of, of working. Um, and, and he's the one that actually brought it back to, um, interestingly enough, he brought it back to that intuitive eating piece where he, he kind of took my food logs. I was an old school Weight Watchers tracker. I would maniacally track my macros and, um, and, you know, count every gram of everything, weigh and measure everything. And I just kind of transferred my obsession with Weight Watchers points to counting macros. And I was fairly successful that way. I was very successful. I lost 100 pounds. But I, if I had like three grams of carbs to eat at the end of the day, I would eat them, whether I was hungry or not, you know. And I remember in the early days of working with Tro as my doctor, um, he would he would look at my food logs and he was sort of not that interested in them, which is not like him, you know. And and then one day he kind of threw him aside. He's like, are you hungry? And I, I thought, what do you care if I'm hungry or not? Like, well, how is that relevant, you know? Um, and he actually was the one that sort of helped me prioritize and and start to think about, um, you know, are you are, are these foods what which foods are satiating you and which foods aren't? Which foods make you just want to eat more and more and more and more? And which foods turn off your brain from eat you know wanting to eat more? Um, and of course, you know, when I first started keto, I I was eating you know a lot of bacon and eggs and meat, and I and those were satiating, but I never really put it together. Anyway, so fast forward, I worked with I worked with Tro as a as a patient, and then um, and he his practice was growing, um, and he we kind of both looked at each other. We thought, you know, I thought this is really something that I want to devote my life to. I remember, you know, when I first actually did that deep dive on diet doctor, I was so infuriated by like all the experts that I'd gone to. No one mentioned this to me. How come? How come? How come nobody told me about this? And I thought, like, I thought I have to, I have to help somebody, like, not go down the, the awful 30, 40 years of, of just intractable obesity that I faced, you know, if I could just help somebody not go down that road. Um, so I became a certified health coach. Now I, I work with, with Tro and, and I, um, yeah, so it's, that's a complete shift for me as well. It's so, it's so um, crazy for me to think about the one topic that I tried my entire life to avoid is speaking about publicly anyway, is, is the topic that I spend all day talking about. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me it's just how life kind of unfolds. It is, is that the irony? Like, you know, having been, you know, similarly you know being a morbidly obese woman and then all of a sudden you know it's like this metamorphosis you know that, that here is amy version you know her best self and here she is she's shouting it from the rooftops you know yes. this is this is it this is about health and you know it's almost like yeah 
So there's the 225 pounds over there, and it's like, you know, out has blossomed this, you know, this this beautiful woman who has so much passion, and here she is. She's um, not preaching, but I know that we do a little bit of preaching, and we're all very we evangelical about it. <laughs> but, you know me, you know me. Um, so it, it really not the irony but I think it it is sometimes maybe it is a little bit of the irony but it it really is this awakening of as you said this frustration you know why did I waste so much time and you know what was the health impact on you know on my on my systems you know my joints particularly I know for my you know my knees were killing me um all that sort of lost time for me as a parent sitting at the playground because I couldn't move the 300 pounds you know it seems to me that do you feel regret for that time or was that just that Amy but now here is Amy version 2.0 and I'm just making up for lost time girl I'm out there yeah you know it's a little bit of both I really I really try try to the Lord not to regret it it's hard not to it's hard not to regret it's it's close to 50 years wasted right like I um it it wasn't wasted I you know I try to have some perspective around it I try to sort of say you know like like I said earlier you know I never I'm not sure that this would have been successful as successful for me in in my 30s because I was you know life stress happened and I and um I maybe I wasn't as quote-unquote wise as I am now or as in tuned with what's really going on for myself right now but um so I try not to delve too deeply into that regret but I do think um there is some value in sort of just just being honest about it you know I I, like when I say this when I say that to friends or family or or people that are that are close to me you know oh god it's so much wasted time they immediately jump in and they're like no it wasn't wasted you're you know this they jump in and I and I, that sort of negates sort of the, how I feel about it, you know, that there, it was wasted and there, it is kind of crappy that I got such terrible advice. I tried so hard. I mean, many, so many people that I work with now, so many people that I know and meet that want to get started, they're trying so hard. And I think that that, you know, I go to expert after expert and they didn't believe that I wasn't eating or that I was just eating X, Y, Z. And I, didn't know why I couldn't sustain, you know, 1200 calories or 30 weight watchers points or whatever it was like, I I know they didn't believe me. Um, And so I don't want to negate that experience, but I also think there's a danger in kind of living there for too long. So I, I try to keep it in perspective. It's not always easy. I get mad about it. Um, But, but what's, you know, that's partially, why health coaching and helping other people is so important to me because it's redemption of sorts. It's like, it's my way of, of kind of reversing what was such wasted time for me. So, yeah. And so that others don't have to go through that if, yeah. if they find you and if that's their path. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's a bit of a, it's paying it forward in, in that way. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you are paying it forward. So this is the lessons that I've learned and, you know, this is the, the expert and this is how I've made sense of my journey in the context of your, your health 
coaching qualification. And what is it that you, what is it the services that you will at Dr. Tro's office that you, that you offer? So um, I am a health coach and um, most of the people that come to his practice are coming to him for medical, a medical weight loss program. So it's a combination of, um, you know, extensive lab work and he certainly reviews all the labs and, and, um, and then we work together to either teach people this way of doing low carb keto or, um, you know, and then the appointments will go back and forth week to week. It's a six month program. So it's, and it's fairly invasive. I mean, it, it the lab work is extensive and the, um, the support is extensive. We like to call it, I don't know if you have AAA and where you are, but it's basically got a roadside assistance service. So if you, we like to be AAA for weight loss, right? So, um, you know, people can text us, email us, call us 24 seven. I mean, we don't always respond 24 seven, but, um, but you know, we will certainly, um, we like to be really in touch with people and offer them as much support as they need and education and, and sort of, you know, all of it. We look at, you know, sleep quality, mental health, mental health, um, certainly their labs and their, and what's going on under the hood is really thoroughly examined at every, you know, it's a six month program and there's three sets of labs. So people can see sort of what's, what, how their blood work is progressing as they're going along so that they don't have to be, you know, worry, um, that what they're doing, you know, cause the other thing is, you know, they're, they're, it's changing a little bit, but you know, keto and low carb, everybody would say to me early on, Oh my God, you're going to have a heart attack from all that butter and steak. Well, you know, nobody worried about me when I was like 400. I mean, I, people did worry about me when I was 400 pounds, but they didn't, you know, somehow um, eliminating a ton of processed food and sugar and flour and grains was going to give me a heart attack, but you know, pizza every day and bagels and stuff was it that's that's all okay but it makes them feel okay yeah it does and i and i understand they're just working with what you know the media and their own doctors are telling them you know here's a statin here's don't eat meat um you know eat some chicken breast and some low-fat something and you know that's what we've all been taught so i can't blame them but i i really want some <laughs> i went to a doctor a couple I guess it was last uh, last year. Um, it was a specialist, and I told him that I was had lost uh, two hundred. At, at that point, it was two hundred pounds, um, and I was giving him my medical history. and And he said, "How did you lose?" He asked me first. I said I lost two hundred pounds, and then he said, "Well, what surgery did you have? Which surgery did you have?" And I said, "No, it was, um, you know, keto." And um, and he said, "Oh, that'll that'll give you a heart attack." And I thought, "This is a doctor, right?" Like. <laughs> I thought, okay. I said, I, and then I, you know, I had my phone with me and I have my lab work. You know, I, I, I still, you know, I still run regular labs. And so I, I pulled out my lab work from my phone. I had it in a, in a, a cloud store thing. And I pulled out my lab work and I said, all right, well, exactly which part's going to give me a heart attack. I was like, because, um, you know, my cholesterol is the exact same, but my triglycerides are half. My total cholesterol is the same as it was at 400 pounds, but my triglycerides are at half. My HDL is twice what it is. I'm no longer pre-diabetic. I, my fasting insulin is this. My, 
my CRP is this. I had a CAC score. It was this. I went through all of the numbers and he was like, well, it, the bacon will give you a heart attack. And I thought, all right, you know, I, I was in a rush to get back to work, but I thought, um, you know, this, he's not going to get convinced here. But when I went home, I sent him an e I sent him an e email with a bunch of studies. And I thought, I said to him, you know, please read these because, um, you know, to tell somebody that that was 400 pounds, that they're going to have a heart attack or 200 pounds down and every number, every blood marker is better. It's like, maybe you can learn something here. So I sent studies. I didn't go back to him. Thankfully, I didn't have to. But um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I forgot we, the original we, question, but <laughs> I went off the tangent. Now we wonder where he is. Where you know, is he just carrying on with his same old dogma, or has he changed? Yeah, It'd be interesting to find out. And he wasn't old enough to be stuck in dogma. I mean, he wasn't a, a, an old doctor, so uh, hopefully, he could learn some new tricks. <laughs> so, which sort of, if we circle back to Doctor Troy, and obviously, you know, he is an enlightened doctor who mm -hmm. is using his obviously his platform for, you know, a bit like Spider Man. He's you know with great great <laughs> power comes great responsibility. And oh, he will. He's a superhero freak. He will love that comparison to Spider Man. But <laughs> <laughs> so just tell him Peter Parker, and um, you know, with the, with the great power comes with a great responsibility. So. The platform that he has now, and obviously with Dr. Lenskis and the podcast and you know mm -hmm. the services that he's offering, you know that this is obviously the you know a new wave, you know, and we do hope that that does carry forward. Unlike obviously, you know, the other guy um, mm -hmm. who shall not be named, um, it it really is sort of this disconnect isn't it sometimes where we hear these stories after stories where these doctors yeah. in your experience as well you know you're coming up that butter's going to give you a heart attack you know butter's going to give you a heart attack you know your cholesterol and statins for this and, and that sort of stuff but yet you know the standard of care can shift we we do know that in the low carb community certainly in the u.s is leading the way with um with with a new generation of doctors yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's one of the reasons that I reached out to Tro to become my doctor, because I just didn't want to get the cholesterol speech. I didn't want to get the, here's the statin, call back, you know, come back in six months speech. I just knew that wasn't right. I just, um, you know, by that point, I had already done a fair amount of research, and I, I, I knew that, um, you know, my weight was coming down, and my my numbers were coming down, and I thought, um, I just don't want to be lectured. I don't want bad advice anymore. And I um, and I wanted somebody to support me and, and to kind of give me accountability. Um, I think mm. there's something really kind of magical about being accountable to somebody outside of yourself until you, until it starts to take root. Um, and yeah, and that kind of medical care and accountability and support and with the, with somebody with a, a medical degree, right? That with somebody with the sanctioning of somebody that um is keeping an eye on on those important things, I think was really incredibly helpful. And um and you know, and he was doing telemedicine before before COVID. So he was, you know, well able to kind of handle um working with people all over the country. I mean I was I was able to get to his office because I'm in the New York area, but um but yeah it was it's really been amazing to see um, as his practice has really grown exponentially 
because people are just so desperate for, for that support and for somebody that's willing to look outside of the standard of care for um, to be better. Um, and the other thing is he's a great doctor. Like he's a, besides the fact that he's enlightened and, and looks at the science rigorously and, and really examines it, he's a, he really will go the extra mile um, and leave no stone unturned to, to help his patients. How did, you, mm. how did you find him? Um, well, it's funny because um, I only knew him from his Twitter presence and he, his Twitter profile says nicer in real life. And I can, I can be like, I can vouch for that. But um, somebody had mentioned him to me as a doctor. I said that I wanted a doctor and I only knew his Twitter presence. And I thought, I thought I had a very different impression of who he was from his Twitter presence. He's a little aggressive. Um, and he, you know, he's very passionate about his words. And um. And, but then I met him, I was at Low Carb Denver for, um, for my, what was my job before I, um, my full-time job before I started becoming a health coach. I work also still partially for the Nutrition Coalition, which is with Nina Teichels and, um, who's the executive director helping to reform the U.S. dietary guidelines, which is a whole other thing. Um, and so I met Tro there and we started just chatting and he could not have been lovelier and nicer and more empathic. And he has an incredibly compelling weight loss story of his own. He was a 350 pound doctor and he sort of should have known better. He did, you know, he, he had access to the best and the brightest minds in in medicine. He was trained in the Yale system and he, um, and he couldn't figure out how, why he was always hungry and why he was 350 pounds and why nothing ever worked. And so you know, he was about to have his third child and his wife challenged him to sort of figure it out for the health of, for his health and to be there for his kids. And, um, and he went on to lose 150 pounds. And so, and so when I met him at low carb Denver, he could not have been lovelier and kinder. And I just thought, all right, you know, I, I, I was at that point that I did need accountability and support and I needed a doctor to look at my labs and stuff. And, and I made an appointment to be his patient. Wonderful. Yeah, and it's it's so great that you know you're in America where you can choose where you where you spend your doctor dollars, uh, whereas here we we just get what, get what you're given. <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, the couple of doctors that I've seen over the last few years, mostly again just health checking, um, have been okay. They're not really pro low carb, but they haven't given me a hard time about it. So. Yeah, I tell okay. I tell people all the time now if they don't have an enlightened doctor, just tell I, I tell people not to really use the word keto as much anymore. Just tell people that you have you're avoiding sugar and processed foods, and you're trying to stick to whole foods. I mean, who's going to argue with that, right? Like, even the jerk doctor that told me that big people was going to give me a heart attack. I mean, if I had just said to him, I don't eat sugar, and I you know I don't eat I try not to eat a lot of processed foods. He, he probably wouldn't have given me a hard time. But I mean, I think there's, it's important to get the word keto out there. But I also think pick and choose your battles. Sometimes keto is just very um, incendiary to people. And it just, people think, uh, you know, think about like the 80s and 90s where just fat was vilified and just we're going to all eat snack well cookies and diet our way down. So I don't know if you had snack wells where you are, but they were like these no, sh- they were super high sugar, no fat cookies. I think they were the 90s. They were these green boxes. I would just eat boxes of them, like everybody did, which is the Stackwell generation of just 
Yeah. Low fat, super high sugar cookies. Yeah. I think we had we had Ravitas. We had Ravitas and cottage like cottage cheese, that sort of stuff. So low fat cottage cheese, but it's the same sort of you know a cracker that's just so like cardboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these were yeah. hyper palatable. They were super delicious, but they were so they were they had to like triple up the sugar to get them low fat or no fat. Um, and you know, and, and make and make them some sort of taste that you might eat them. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and eat them we did. I mean, we just all thought we were so virtuous eating them, but now we know better. So tell us about your work with the Nutrition Coalition. Yeah, so um, it, we're a relatively small organization. We are tasking ourselves with uh, performing the U.S. Dietary Guidelines, which is a, it, it's a five-year process. Um, and so that process just ended at the end of 2020. Um, and we are basically trying to get them to include, um, to look at all the rigorous diets, um, not just on low carb, but on saturated fat, on salt. Um, we want the guidelines based on the most rigorous evidence available. Um, we were not entirely successful in our, our uh, efforts, but uh, the, ne- the next um, the next uh, part of the process will start up again next year. And so we're formulating our plans for, for how we're going to go forward with, with that process. Um, you know, it starts with them choosing the dietary guidelines committee. And then, so hopefully we can, um, we can have, we can get some people in there that may not, uh, have too many conflicts of interest and that are willing to look at all the rigorous science. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's our work there. So you went and spoke to the... Uh, committee, didn't you? I did. Back in I, January 2020. Or... Yeah, uh, was it January? Yes. Wow. January, yes. 2020. So you have to think back on, but yes, it was, it was in January. I went to Houston to, was it 2020 or 2019? Maybe it was 2019. Um, maybe yeah. the, the video. Was yeah. And then, um, I just, we, everybody had three minutes to, it was, it was pretty hard to get a spot too, but, um, yeah, everybody had three minutes to sort of lay out their, their, what they wanted to say and what they wanted to tell the committee. And I basically said, just look at the science, like the science that, that is out there now is failing so many people. The guidelines are not meant for people that are unhealthy. Um, and that's not, that's not really, most of America is not healthy. You know, we have one, mm-hmm. one form or another of metabolic illness. And so, um, I basically told my story in three minutes time about how I basically reclaimed my health by ignoring the guidelines, by eating, you know, no sugar, no like high fat, eggs, meat, dairy, full fat dairy. Um, I don't really, you know, I add in extra sodium now because I, I need it. Um, you know, so all of those those things that the guidelines say to limit um, are not based on anything. There's just, there's no rigorous science there. Uh, so, no. yes. Were, were there other people like you um, talking, maybe you, you went on behalf of yourself. Um, were there other people like you talking on behalf of themselves and there were. promoting yeah. different aspects of the of the guidelines? 
Um, yeah, there were. There was. There were people there with all sorts of agendas. There was the vegan contingency and the vegetarian contingency and the um, the anti meat crusaders. Um, and there were people there that reclaimed their health by going vegan. Um, uh, you know, God bless, do your do your thing. But uh, it didn't work for me, and it didn't. I don't think it's a sustainable way of life. But that people say that about keto too. Um, but I I think. Um, I think most people that were there, they were they were paid experts of some sort or another. Um, so there weren't. I was in the minority in terms of speaking for myself. You know, that I reclaimed my health by ignoring these guidelines. Most of the people there were they were either working for the beverage industry or the nut industry, or as I said, they had some vegan or vegetarian agenda. Um, there were a couple of meat representatives there. Um, but there weren't as many people just sort of speaking for themselves. Mm. So I, which I think speaks to sort of the bigger picture problem that there's all sorts of forces in there that are, don't have to do with individual health, you know, it's political and money. Yeah. So we recently interviewed Belinda Fetke. Mm -hmm. So, and she's looked into the history of, you know, where all this comes about, which is so fascinating. And yeah, if, if you haven't heard it, it's episode 58 and I highly recommend um, people go back and listen to that one. Yeah, I will listen to it. I mean, I, I work pretty closely with Nina Teichel, so I am, um, I am well versed in, uh, in the politics and the, um, and what has gone on to vilify saturated fat and to, uh, to keep the and how we became a nation that or a world that believes that vegetables are virtuous and meat is not. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I have to listen. To that. Whereas I think we 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 would all agree that yeah, vegetables are good for most people. Um, and but so is meat, and so are eggs, and so it's just all the stuff that comes in a packet. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's. You know, as keto has become more popular and low carb is more popular, I don't know about where you are, but here every day there's new products out there in the markets with that just splash keto and low carb or net carbs all over their packaging. And you turn it over and you look at the ingredients list or you look at the nutrition label and you're like, this is just garbage. This is just really just the, the same garbage that they were selling five years ago. They've just capitalized they just some fancy new math on it to come up with some crazy low net carb count but it's just real garbage um and the yeah the other thing about those foods this goes back to what i've learned with fro when he said to me are you hungry is um you know they are so hyper palatable like i you know i will occasionally use one of those convenience protein bars or in here in the states we have quest bars and i'll occasionally use them if i you know, keep one in my purse for um, or something, or, or sometimes I want a sweet and I'll use it and, and I'll eat them. And then I'll take one bite of something like that. And I'm not even one bite in and my brain is already like pinging, like, where's my next one? Where's my next bar? Right? Like I, I'm not even like one bite into the first bar and my brain is still already like, where's my second bar? I need a third one. Like, um, and it, it, so I use those convenience foods occasionally but I do them with the awareness that they are going to make me hungry. So I guard myself 
later on, if I'm hungry, if I have cravings, I just try to eat more meat or more eggs or, you know, kind of prioritize that protein to shut up my brain, basically to turn off my that pinging food addict brain. Um, yeah, the dopamine yeah. effect. Yeah. Yeah. So, Amy, earlier on, you, you spoke about exercise and how that's been a big part of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing when you were morbidly obese that that exercise wasn't a great part of your life and I don't know about you but I have never incorporated exercise into my life it's always been a chore something that I've had to do or for many many years I never did any how was that for you and what happened what changed to be that it's now a really huge part of your life yeah you know it's interesting even at my heaviest i was very fortunate to find a studio in new york city uh which no longer is in existence but uh that catered to plus size fitness um and there was a great community of women that i met and i became really close friends with um and so i did exercise at that point. Um, certainly it feels different now in, in, in the body that I'm living in now. Um, but I, I sort of credit that exercise with why my body just, it didn't feel great, but it wasn't physically falling apart completely. Like my, um, you know, my cholesterol wasn't crazy. My, you know, I wasn't diabetic, although I was veering up into the pre-diabetic range, but I credit what the exercise that I was doing with, despite my terrible eating habits at that point, um, and just, you know, just why I wasn't completely falling apart. But, um, but to answer your question, you know, but I, I, I've had love-hate relationship with exercise over the years, mostly because it wasn't comfortable to, to exercise, uh, at 400 pounds and my joints would hurt and, and, and inertia is a really powerful thing, right? Like just, just, it was easier in, in many ways. I would either be all or nothing, which I, you know, that all or nothing thing, I think is, is one thing that I've had to kind of try to give up anyway. Um, but I, so I didn't really exercise much for the first, I would say two year and a half, two years of, of being low carb keto and I was down about a hundred pounds and it's funny because I've heard Tro say this to other patients along the way and it is exactly my experience that everybody comes to us and says um what do you want me to do for exercise and he says to them when your body when you are ready to exercise you will come to me and tell me you're ready and sure enough that's exactly what happened to me he didn't tell me to exercise but um but I just kind of felt like you know I had more energy I was feeling good I wanted to start to do that um, and in New York City, they are, this is pre-COVID, but there were some rowing studios. Like, um, it's kind of like those bicycles, Soul Cycle, which, um, I don't know if you have there, but it's, it's basically like a studio of, of rowing machines with like loud music and it, the lights are dark and it's kind of really, um, I don't know. I just, I would walk by the studio a lot and in New York City and I thought, I really want to try that, but I just, I just didn't have the nerve to do it. And then one day I just walked in and I thought, I just want to try this. And I thought, my goal here is to not throw up during class. I don't want to die and I don't want to throw up. Um, and I liked it so much and I was able to do it, you know, and I, and it was an effort-based machine. So which is why I love rowing machines because it's really, you can do it at any fitness level and then you just get stronger and better and you're only competing against yourself. Uh, and I love that. And then, um, and then COVID happened and all the gyms 
stuff were settled, settled down and I um and I thought it was January of twenty twenty one of this year and I, I thought I really want to start running. Um and I thought I, I it just it always was sort of a little bit of a dream of mine and I had never even run a mile. And I thought, I'm gonna just try. I'm just gonna try. I mean part of it was that I wanted something to do for fitness that didn't require a gym or a machine because of COVID. Um, of course, now most, you know, gyms are back open a greater or lesser degree. And I, um, I do often run in a treadmill because it's, um, because of the weather. But I, so in January of this year, I started, I started running and I, it took me about two months doing it of walking and running, you know, just I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack the first time I did it. In fact, the first time I ran, I was in the gym and I was by the office and Tro was in the it, it, upstairs in the gym. And I thought, all right, if I have a heart attack, I know there's a doctor here. <laughs> of course, I didn't have a heart attack, but it took me about two months um, to to actually run the mile. And the first time I did it, I, I was picturing myself in high school. There was a track behind my junior high or high school. And we have used to have to do these once a year, like they were called presidential tests where you had to run a mile or walk a mile or, and they timed you and it became part of your, your record. And I couldn't even, I could barely even walk a quarter of a mile, you know, and I picture as I was, as I realized the first time on the treadmill that I was actually going to finally run the mile. And listen, I am super slow. Like people walk way, way faster than I run, but I don't care. You know, I, I'm just doing it. But the first time I did the mile, I was, I had tears down my face thinking about like the teenage me not being able to even walk a quarter of a mile around that check. I was picturing myself around the check. And I often still do that now when I know I only have about a quarter of a mile left of my planned run. I picture myself on that track and I try not to take for granted what I'm able to do now. Um, anyway, so just fast forward, I'm now, you know, running. I don't always have the time to do, you know, three miles, but I, I'm, I'm planning on doing a 5k race at some point out this year, this year. Um, I can regularly do the 5k on the treadmill, but I haven't done one outdoors yet, uh, in the full, with the full experience, but I, I am prouder of the running than I, or as proud of, of run, being able to run as I am of the 200 pounds because it really is reclaiming um, a part of me that I thought was never gonna see the yeah. light of day. Um, and, and exercise is really like a great joy for me now. I, I, I have a little note on my calendar every day, my, on, on my phone that says exercise, otherwise you'll be sad and depressed. It's just a reminder. Mm-hmm. It's not about weight loss. In fact, I, you know, I have seen various studies that show that really there's not, there's a negligible difference between, you know, people that diet alone versus diet and exercise. But, um, you know, it's a negligible difference in terms of weight loss. But for people, I think there is um, like a registry of people that have maintained significant weight loss over X number of years. And almost every one of them exercise every day. And the truth is, I find it easier to exercise seven days a week than I do to exercise three days a week. You know, there's sort of that inertia still takes hold of me. And I, I'll do different, I don't do always do hardcore exercise every day. Sometimes it's just movement or stretching or yoga on the days off, quote unquote. 
But if I don't do some movement every day, I, that inertia takes hold of me. And the depression starts to like, not really de- it's not really depression. It's just sort of like, I get like a little blue. Or, you know, and I think, yes. yeah, it's low, it's I think the that's the effect. critical difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. the critical difference for people that are maintaining weight loss, I think it's the de-stressing factor of it. It's, the, it's sort of like it connects you to your body and it, it helps you make better choices and it makes you less low. Um, and I think yeah. that helps with the food choices. It's a really interesting thing because, uh, you know, when you were 400 pounds, that, as you said, that, momentum to move that mass is is obviously you know it's a real credit that you were obviously found a safe place to be find the community to at least be doing something that's obviously a real you know a real credit and i i don't know where in australia they would have had something like that but anyway that's that's a real really great that you had that safe safe community and for me I'm not a runner. I'm, I'm definitely not a runner, but I love yoga. And I think I understand what you're saying about the the affect. So the fact that, you know, whatever it is, it's the endorphins, it's the meditative, the mindfulness, the, the mind-body connection and, and the mood. So I, I don't, I've really struggled through lockdown to, to obviously to move because obviously, you know, there was movement restrictions. But I did find Down Dog, the Down Dog app, you know, for the yoga. And it was absolutely wonderful. And But now, with obviously opening up, do you think I can find that 30 minutes a day? Do you, I just don't know where that 30 minutes goes. Like, where does that 30 minutes – I have still got – I don't have a commute. You know, I'm only commuting from the bedroom to the study. Like, where's that 30 minutes gone? But it's just carving out that – time and that space and making that commitment to self I think I need to reprioritize something I need to time block it I don't know what it is do you make an appointment with yourself to do that do you block that time out I do and you know something that I tell my clients to do also is just look at your calendar and figure out where you're going to put it in the day um, and put it on the calendar as if it's an appointment for yourself. Absolutely. I don't mm. always, I sometimes move it around or I push it off till the last minute because, again, inertia is a really powerful thing and it, it will hold you back. But um, but I really do schedule it on my calendar uh, and I look at the calendar for the week. And I, I mean, now it's sort of, you know, my, my schedule ebbs and flows and I know where I'm going to fit it in. But um, But it's really important, I think, to schedule it on your calendar as if, you know, you have, it's you're, it's an important event. And it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Just because you turn up for someone else. So why right. wouldn't you turn up for yourself? But this is the thing, Jackie. And I, I just, I really, I think that really resonates with me now is that I'm making an appointment with myself. And I think that that's, that's the thing, that this is not negotiable, that there is, it's fixed or whatever it is. And as you say, I mean, it can, obviously there is some flexibility, but um, Jackie knows that if it's not on the calendar, the pretty sort of, you know, colour-coded calendar, I'm just going to have to <laughs> colour-code it all. Um, and I'm just going to colour-code it. And it, it's just it's just an appointment. So um, yeah. yeah. I also think tapping into, that's why I have that note on my calendar about, you know, exercise, otherwise you'll be sad and depressed. Mm. I, I have that note because I want it sort of tied into like, how do you want to feel at the end of this day? And it, it isn't just some, it isn't about 
you know, the, the, the number on the scale, it's sort of a, it's an esoteric sort of concept, right? Like, but how do I physically want to feel at the end of the day is something that's like a visceral feeling. I can hold on to it. It's something that I, oh, I go, oh yeah, I get really sad. And like, this is something I really discovered early on in COVID during shutdown in New York is like, oh God, the days that I don't work out, I, I'm so sad. I'm so anxious. I'm so sort of blue and um, I don't want to feel that way anymore. Mm, so yeah. I try to tap it into something bigger than just sort of the, you know, oh, I'm going to gain weight or I'm going to lose weight or, you know, just a bigger picture thing. Yeah. Do you, what's... I'm very good at pushing it away and not doing it. I'm very good at that. But do you still like daily weigh or do you track still? Or... Uh, so I stopped daily weighing. I never really did daily weight. I did it for a short time when I started working with pro as, as a patient. Uh, and then I was like, you know, it, I have too much to lose. There's no amount of weight I could lose in in a day, a week even, uh, that would not feel demoralizing somehow. Or um, So I, I would weigh either once a week or once every two weeks um, and or um, even once a month I would weigh in. But um, now I kind of, I try to weigh in, you know, every two weeks or at least once a month. Um, I'll do, I'll go, when I go to the office, I'll, I'll use the body composition scale there. I, it's, it's hard. Uh, the scale is still really a little bit of an obsession for me. Um, and, you know, we, this is something I think we talked about earlier um, in terms of, you know, like now what do I focus on? Like the weight loss is not front and center of my brain. I still have maybe five, 10 pounds that I, vanity weight that I could lose. Um, but like I, I wrote a blog post about this, like basically now what? Like what, like I have spent 50 years, 50 plus years obsessing about it was the first thought in the morning it was the last thought, thought at night it was every it, it factored into every thought I had every waking moment like we're, how what are we going to do to lose weight today how, how is this what are we going to do like how what's where, where are we going am I on a diet am I off a diet um and now what do I worry about like what I mean that's part of like what I think about when I think about the colossal waste of time all that time thought like what could what might I have accomplished in life if I hadn't been obsessing about my weight and food. Um, and, and really it's a big shift. Like, what do I worry about now if I'm not worried about losing weight? Um, so it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Like what, what's next now? What? Um, so mm. I, I do, I do weigh in regularly just to sort of, just for safety as a safety net. Um, but I can see how sometimes that veers towards the a little bit of obsession. Yeah. That's an interesting conundrum because, you know, for the longest time I avoided the scales because of that sort of very factor. And when yeah. I got that feedback, I ended up using that as a as a self sort of criticism and it was a judgment and it really fed into a negative a negative cycle for me. But I recently well recently had um we were doing 
a challenge, a 100-day challenge, alternate day fasting. So it, it sort of was really good just to sort of reconnect with, the process of measurements so yeah, a whole lot of you know measurements and feedback and I, I totally agree about accountabilities and having for me I need those external accountabilities around me to keep me on track and what I did was to get Andrew to, to do the measure so he took the data he didn't tell me what the number was but he sort of gave me an indication yeah yeah so um but then I got brave and started to sort of you know do the tracking for myself but I, I, I totally get that, what now? So what is it now for Amy? What's, what are the goals? Have you got a sense of clarity? Can you articulate what they are? What's, what's the it? Yeah, I, just, I do want to go back just really quickly because I think you tapped into something really important there with, um, in terms of if you can look at the numbers and look at the, the, the scale and the measurements as data and take out the judgment and the shame, I think that is just so important. Like it's really, it's really hard to do because we've always used these numbers as weapons against ourselves or other people have used it as weapons against us, right? But if you can kind of look at the numbers as data versus with, you know, like, I mean, you're a scientist, Louise, like you, you look at numbers all the time without judgment, right? But this was a, this is a really, this is where Jackie and I are yin and yang. And Jackie is really good at being able to disassociate from that. But I, I totally agree. I had that emotive judgment and that was part of that self-criticism. And as you said, you know, it was weaponized to judge and put myself down. But that was me. That was me doing that. I didn't have that sense of disassociation that it was just a data because it was so personally connected to, yeah. to me. And that's, that's where I'm saying, you know, I agree with you about having those accountability measures and I really, you know, take it that that's for me. That's how I work with needing that external accountability. I can't self-regulate those sorts of things. I'm not yeah. I'm Gretchen Rubin, you know, I'm not an upholder, <laughs> you know. I'm not, I can't uphold my, my things. I, that's what I need. I'm an obliger, so I need all those external factors around me. So. Yeah. But getting back to your short, uh, medium and long yeah. term. <laughs> so to answer your question, now what for me is about fitness and about running and about exercise and about getting stronger um, and uh, and figuring out sort of what, what is next, um, just in terms of um, just getting used to living in, in the body that I'm living in. I, I don't take it for granted. I mean, when I get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and I things don't hurt. And I'm like, wow, I, I'm, I have a much lighter step. Like I, I, I do not take that for granted for one single solitary second. Um, so it's about getting stronger. And I, I, I work out regularly and I'm trying to, I'm trying to be kind to my body. Um, that's something that, you know, I have a personal trainer and that's something that talk to me about is that just you know not injured getting injured like making sure I take care of the body that I'm that I'm in now and so when I say that I work out seven days a week I really do try to take a day or two to just do some stretching or yoga or, or something that's not hardcore running and 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 that because um I want to make sure that this body that I have now is going to be healthy and able to move for a long time but um but that that's sort of where I've I've landed now. Um, as I said I, earlier, I'm a little more low carb than, than full keto now. I will, um, I will occasionally 
um, add in some seasonal fruits uh, that may not be legally keto, but um, but my body can handle them now. Um, I, I occasionally will wear a, a glucose monitor to sort of see what happens, and my body recovers pretty quickly and easily, and is is fairly adaptable to to a little. I'm not ever high carb, but a little bit not keto macros, but um, but lower carb. And I don't really track anymore. Occasionally, I will I will take a page from the um, Kim Howerton book of of experimentation. When I'm always amazed that she has the discipline and fortitude to to do the experimentation that she does. And I so if I change something up, I will I will track occasionally. But at this point, I kind of I really try to go with hunger and satiety. Um, and I know the foods that I feel best eating, and I try to stick to those most of the time. What's a daily? Yeah, what's great. what's the daily sort of you know eating? I you know is it bacon and eggs, um, breakfast? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't do a lot of. Um, I don't do a ton of eggs just because I have a little bit of a sensitivity to them. But um, and I don't do a lot of bacon. I I tend to do. A li- it's it's interesting. I, this is something I actually have spoken to Kim about because. We laugh about the way that we eat now is basically the way I used to eat on Weight Watchers, except except I never could have gotten to this point if I hadn't gone through the bacon and eggs and, and ribeye phase for a couple of years. But um, but I, t- I tend to not have breakfast. Uh, and then I generally have two meals a day. Sometimes I have one meal a day. Um, and I most for the most part during the work week, I try to keep it pretty simple because of time and because I find that that kind of shuts off my hunger quicker. Um, and I also keep it a little bit lower fat because as a postmenopausal woman with less body fat, I can get away with less fat. I know there are people that do higher fat. Um, I'm not, and I'm never low fat. I'm just not, you know, putting, I pick and choose where I'm going to add my fat. So um, I don't mind no fat yogurt, so I'll have no fat Greek yogurt, but I will add some butter to my vegetables because I like that. So I pick and choose where I want to have my fat. Um, I will use sometimes a little bit of a leaner cut of meat because I don't mind it. I won't use the, you know, I, I kind of, I gauge it by what keeps me full and what is the least amount of fat I could get away with so that my taste buds and my palate are pleased and also I'm full for pretty long periods of time um and that's a highly individual thing you know some people would never be able to have the the lower cut that lower fat meat so um and they wouldn't enjoy it so it would make sense for them this is sustainable for me so postmenopausal they I mean you know you know for the listeners at home I mean Amy looks like she's 20 so seriously she doesn't (laughs) She's, she's, you don't look postmenopausal. I, I, yes, I am 54. So, um, uh, for the yeah, listeners, it doesn't, it doesn't it. look it. So that's where I'm just sort of clarifying. Um, but was this well, one of the things that you had to, you had to sort of, you had to sort of tweak because you, you, as you said, postmenopausal, did you have to drop your fat because of the, um, the hormone changes? Yeah. Well, I, um, I started out keto, really strict keto macros, as I said, um, and that was something, you know, again, Kim Howerton um, really helped me tremendously in the early days of, of doing that, and she gave me an amazing education. 
Um, and I was, you know, very traditional strict keto macros and I was super high fat and I would do a lot of bacon and butter and I could get away with it. I was 400 pounds. I had plenty of weight to lose and, um, and just, I, I never could have, I think it's really important to go high fat. I, I should say that. I think it's important to have that higher fat when you, especially when you're first starting, there's no way to get yourself off of the process, you know, the carbs and the sugar and the flour and all that stuff without adding something in. Right. Mm. But as I kind of, my body weight went down and then I um, also, you know, went through menopause and I, and I, I, I couldn't get away with it as much. Um, so I had to tweak as along the way to, uh, prioritize protein a little more and to go a little bit lower fat. Um, never low fat. I would never, I never tell, tell people to go home. Although I do use some low fat products now, which I never would have used early on. Um, but again, some of those low fat products have a little bit higher carb count, but I can get away with a little bit of higher carbs now. So I kind of leverage the two to, to make it work for myself. Um, but I, if you are just starting out or, um, or early on in this process, I think it's really important to get in those good satiating fats. And again, as I said, I, I pick and choose where they are important to me and my palate and my satiety. I like a little butter on my vegetables, so I will do that. I like, I like to have, you know, some, a little, some walnuts or something in, in yogurt. So I'll use the no fat Greek yogurt, but I add in the fat with walnuts. So I pick and choose, you know, I still have a problem with, with quantity and, you know, my brain never sees, my brain still sees like low carb cookies. Um, doesn't, my brain doesn't care how many servings the bag says it has to me. It's all a single serving. So I factor that into whether I'm going to bring them in the house. I factor that into whether I'm going to open the bag. Um, because I know that if it's there, I'm going to finish it. So I'm, that's part of that awareness of like what foods make you hungrier for more. Even the low carb foods make me hungrier for more, even though they're, it doesn't impact my blood sugar and it doesn't cause, cause, cause that postprandial hunger. My brain still sees low carb cookies as just, you know, treats. 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 Yeah. Mm. It doesn't have any interest in moderating. Well, yeah. you know, snacking, We've had conversation. Yeah, so snacking is an emotional event. It is. It is. And that's not, you know, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, that judgment and shame. Like, you know, sometimes an, an emotional event it, without judgment and shame is is a valid reason to eat something, right? Like it's, I, it, my theory is that that judgment and the shame makes a snack into a grazing all day or a long, a, another, it leads to another snack versus like, I'm just, I'm a human being and I'm facing my friends sitting and eating or my family sitting and eating something and I want a snack too. And it's okay. Right. Like it doesn't have to lead to six weeks of binging. If Mm. it's without, it's the judgment that kind of fuels that binging and shame and that terrible cycle versus like, Oh, I'm just a human eating a snack. And like, and then I move on to my, next eating event a few hours Supper. later mm-hmm. and it's done um yep. Yep. i don't think it's a i don't think it's a terrible thing to have a to, to eat something that just for emotional reasons it's the it's the i mean it's not a great habit but it's it's also hmm. without if you don't judge yourself it's just going to end there versus 
six weeks you wake up from a, going, a binge. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So before we finish, tell people how they can contact you, get in contact, social media. Yeah. Um, so my, my Twitter is Amy D-E, A-M-Y-D-E-E-1001. Um, and then you can always find me uh, through Dr. Tro's office. Uh, his website is Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R-T-R-O.com. Um, I have a number of blog posts on there that I'm really proud of. Um, you know, it's it's funny. We talked about this earlier. I, I am not somebody that publicly really... I'm not somebody that's very public with my vulnerabilities. You know, I have spent years being morbidly obese and being ashamed and scared of being sort of outed for what was going on inside. And, um, but as I said earlier, like it is redemption for me to talk about this stuff. So I have a number of very vulnerable blog posts that I've written. Um, uh, they're all on, on Dr. Cho's website. And I, I share them publicly and yet I haven't shared them with a lot of people in my own life, right? Like my family, some of my family and friends haven't even read them, but I feel like being able to express myself in those blogs is part of my superpower now. Um, and when I say superpower, I mean like, just I didn't believe this was in the cards for me. Like I just, no one is more shocked than I am that I I'm sitting here talking about my weight loss. It's preposterous. Like it's just, um, and so uh, if I can share and, and express to anybody like that is just starting out in this process that doesn't believe it's possible. Like I didn't believe it was possible either. And yet here I am and I am 225 pounds less than I had lived for probably 30 of my 54 years. Um, I was probably, yeah, at that 400 pound mark, give or take. And um, if I could offer anything, it's just the hope that it's possible because I just, oh my God, I just, I cannot express how I did not believe that this was possible. I failed so many times. So anyway, I I know I've I've gone on on a million tangents, but um, (laughs) but yeah, I'm I'm particularly sad of those some of the blog posts because I think they really they have resonated for many people so yeah, yeah. and we will link so we'll that put some in the, yeah, we'll, we'll put, put some in the show notes that's not a problem so you just sort of said that hope that it is possible and that sounds like one of your top tips and I know that there may be a couple of others that you might like to share with the listeners yeah um there's a few of them um the first, we'll go back to that question that, that Tro asked me early on, which is, are you hungry? Um, and, you know, really examine and become aware of the foods that keep you full and the foods that just light up your brain and make you just want to keep eating and eating and eating. I talked about, you know, eating some of those Quest bars and, you know, or a, a low carb cookie and the first bite and my brain is looking for like six, six mark cookies, right? Like, it's, um, and sometimes I will say to myself, I, I really... I, I, this is one of my blog posts it's called are you hungry but also you know when I ask myself am I hungry like I'll say um you know do you want one low carb cookie or do you want like 700 and if the answer is 700 and the answer is not in any cookies right there's no amount of cookies that's gonna, gonna make me happy um and so I you know and that kind of goes to that awareness piece of like being aware of the foods that 
that make you full and turn off the brain and 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 the foods that just make you want to keep eating and eating and eating. Um, and then I think, um, you know, that kind of also goes to the point, not every experience has to be like a party, you know, a food, every food experience has to be a party in your mouth. Um, I don't ever tell people that they have to go low, low fat. And I, I, um, I don't live a Spartan food existence of, you know, dry chicken breast and steamed broccoli. But, um, and, you know, my food should be delicious and enjoyable and satisfying. But I find that I do better. I feel better when I keep it relatively simple most of the time. Um, you know, I thought looking at a lot of the low carb and the keto social media feeds and even looking at diet doctor, there's some really decadent, amazing recipes. I find those make me eat more um, and don't offer that much more in the way of satiety. So I kind of balance. I try to keep a balance of most of the time I keep it pretty simple. And then, you know, when I sort of I'm walking around New York City and I find myself like taking more than a passing look at, at one of the pizza places, I'm like, oh, it's time to make a low-carb pizza. And then I I use my own sort of body and my, my brain as, as a feedback to sort of say it's time to, you know, indulge in some low-carb keto stuff. Um, but not every day is like a full-on keto party um mm. not every meal has to be you know over the top i find I, I do best when i keep it pretty simple um and my my biggest biggest tip uh is really is if you have a slip up get right back to it um not monday not you know after the holidays or the first of the the first of the month or the first of the year like just get right back to it without judgment and change your next meal, have a big protein, fatty kind of meat. Um, don't wait to get started. One cheat meal can be recovered from fairly quickly, um, but a week or much longer and you're waiting for one day, oh, that may never happen. Um, when I realized about halfway through the, the five years that's been for me that there was no off ramp, I am. Um, you know, early on, I would remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I, I'm never going to have a piece of New York pizza. I'm never going to have a New York bagel again. And I'm like, I, it just started to make me panic a little bit. And then a couple of years in, I thought, like, there's no off ramp here. So if I'm not, it kind of took away, I didn't panic anymore, but it took away the feeling that I had to be perfect every day. And it just let me have permission to say, okay, tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. Um and that kind of, that all or nothing thinking has really, I really do my best to kind of put it away. I think that all or nothing thinking is really just food addiction looking to like worm its way into, you know, into our, it's look, it's like a, it's like a toddler having a temper tantrum, you know, like, all right, you're not going to be perfect. So now you're really going to screw it up. You know, Tro often talks about this example of like, if you've got a flat tire, you wouldn't pull the car over and then stab a hole in all the other tires. But we do the same with diet routinely, right? Like we're like, oh, I ate something off plan. So now I'm going to really screw up and go like, that makes no sense. And yet we all do it. You know, we all do it with diet. So that all or nothing thinking, just, um, you know, slip ups are part of the process. They're not outside of the process. Yeah. I like that. Slip ups are part of the process. Yeah. 
yeah, we throw the baby out with the bathwater or, as my mum would say, in for a penny, in for a pound. You know, that was it. So yeah. basically, you know, that that's, you know. So not just the one cookie, but as I've sort of mentioned on the podcast, you know, that Tim Tam packets have 11. So all 11 would be, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. So um, yeah. yeah, it's good. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's it certainly has been quite enlightening, and again, you know, the achievement of two hundred and twenty-five pounds is absolutely, you know, you're you're an amazing example of how a transformation can take place, and um, yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Amy. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you. Both. Thank you. Well, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed hearing from Amy and what an amazing transformation. So for my metric friends, 225 pounds is 102 kilos. And for UK imperial people, that 225 pounds is 16 stone. I don't know about you, Jackie, but what an amazing transformation. She lost the same amount of weight as I was when, well, I was 16 and a half stone. So half a stone difference. She lost my whole body weight as it was then. I can't. It's, it's almost amazing. like cleaving off a whole Jackie. So yeah. where, you know. <laughs> hey, there would be nothing left of me. Nothing left for me. <laughs> Sack of potatoes. So just... Oh, or, you know, a I'm, bag we're of joking it, but but I know it's just it's it. You know, she says she she didn't think it was possible, but it it almost feels impossible, doesn't it? And can you imagine? Well, you can imagine because you were up there in the in the weight, being there and looking and seeing where you had to go. It must have been very soul destroying. It's the enormity. I mean, enormity, I know that that's figuratively like you are obviously a morbidly obese woman. And for me, it was a hundred and well, 130 pounds. And I've lost a few more pounds since that time. So it, the enormity of or the scale of the, the issue, the problem. And when you are that big, you somehow, you know you're big, right? Because it takes a lot of effort to move yourself around. You know, it takes a lot of effort to, to get dressed, to, to get in and out of the car, to get up the stairs, that sort of thing. So, but did the did, enormity. Did you find that you didn't notice it as much as you yes. do yeah, looking no, back? You did oh. notice it or you didn't? Yeah, no, I did notice it because clothes buying clothes, moving every day, just moving about, getting out of bed, getting in the car, getting up the stairs at the office. You know, there's things that you just, you know, you do accept that that's being tired every day, just being tired. Because hmm. I, I remember lugging that weight around, but not really being aware of it. It just sort of felt normal if that makes sense I knew I was struggling to get up the stairs more than before um that was definitely obvious but it seems 
even more noticeable now with the things that I can do that I didn't do before, if that makes sense. I understand that there's things about your proprioception, so your basic bodily awareness, so your, you know, how you move um, yourself, so the proprioceptiveness. And that's when you lose weight, how that sort of shifts. So not only how you spatially move and orientate your body but obviously in your mind's eye how you see yourself still as that fat person sometimes and that in itself you reconfigure as you slowly lose weight Hmm. for the longest time I still saw myself as that fat person and things like going to the department store and going to the to the um to the big girl section that sort of stuff so naturally gravitating to to bigger clothes I think one of the biggest things was obviously realizing you know those non-scale victories that we all relish in celebrating like putting the towel around you and wrapping that around you and you know things I see on Facebook where even our good friend Kim Howerton you know said that never gets tired of you know doing the buckle up on the airplane and you know not having to get the seat belt extender yeah so those I always think when I get in the plane is can I do the belt up? Because I always had, I never had the belt extender, but I was right at the very end. So I knew I had to take the buckle right to the very end to get it on. But nowadays it's, can I, was the person sitting in this seat before me <laughs> thinner or fatter than me? And can I do it up without, without moving it? And nine times out of 10, I still can't, but still it feels good. It does. But you know, there's things about Amy's story, you know, that, her her transformation you know and the insight that she's gained from being as we said that resilience you know the resilience of her journey where you know she set out to sort of think well you know here I go again but you know all I wanted to be was a thinner fat person but in her sense of self where she's now inspiring others you know that she's moving that forward she's you know with Dr. Troy and really going in and helping to transform other people's lives. I think, you know, what a gift. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really resonated with being a thinner fat person because that was me. I just wanted to lose a stone at the time. I would have still been fat, um, but that was all I wanted, just to get back to where I had been fairly um, for, for quite a long time before. So I can I can get that. But it's also the fact that now she's obviously moving her advocacy forward with the Nutrition Coalition as well, with Nina Teicholz as well. So she's taking that lived experience of being that morbidly obese woman who was complying with the dietary guidelines and it wasn't working for her, knowing that she had to do something different, which was not in line with government policy. Hmm. Yeah. And I saw that video where she spoke to the committee um, two years ago. Oh, it's just over two years ago now, two and a half years ago. And the difference in that video to how she is now is, you know, she's lost even more weight. She looked glowing. She looked really young and healthy and vibrant on the video, didn't she? Mm, Absolutely. 
So, Amy, it was wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story and your journey with us. And we really wish you all the best with, you know, continuing to inspire and lobby and advocate for change. You know, we really, we really, you know, really support you 110%. Where can we get the show notes, Jackie, for Amy's episode? So the show notes will be at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 065. Thanks, Jackie. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>